I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman and back with another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. We got a fun one on tap today. Corey's uh, U23 NHL rankings are out. Some good movers to talk about in there. And we are recording this right before the announcement of the U.S. men's Olympic hockey team. Uh, it seems like we, we, we've got a pretty good idea who it's going to be. The official announcements will probably come between when we're recording and when you're listening. Um, but, but it does seem like it's going to be a, a college and, and certainly, as a result, prospect-heavy team. So a lot to talk about there. Corey, how you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, this is the time of year where I'll be making the mid-year uh, list updates. Uh, usually on the eve of a World Juniors, but even without a, a World Junior. Uh, we watched a lot of hockey in the first half of the season, uh, and for the first time in a while, we watched hockey from every major league, uh, and got a whole lot of new information, and so it's exciting to try and put together this package uh, in a normal way for the first time in a while. Yeah, absolutely, and and, and as always, I think the, the intrigue uh, starts around the top with, with who some of the very best prospects are. You have Andrei Svechnikov. Um, as number one, but number two, and I know, you know, he, he's been in that orbit for you for a while. And I think he was number two on the last ranking, but moving up to, to the second spot there of under three, under 23 players, uh, Jack Hughes, who I, I think, I, I know in the write up, you said like it, it, it may or may not be the breakout yet. It's a little early, but I, I think I'm there. I think I'm ready to say Jack Hughes has arrived. Yeah. I mean, again, the sample size, cause he was hurt for most of the first half. Uh, you know, guys have great 10, 15 game stretches and sometimes they don't always continue but i think with jack it's not just the performance it's, it's how he's looked um both last season and this season um you're seeing him do a lot of, of really good things on the ice with his skating and his playmaking and uh he looks like a guy who, who impacts shifts uh he's a guy who's scoring more consistently now you know whether that maintains going forward we'll see uh but the early indicator and, and i think sometimes when guys have statistical uh, stretches that are, are good 
Uh, you don't want to overreact. But I think what's different with, with Jack is one, uh, the, the toolkit and two, a long history more before the National Hockey League, but still a long history of being an elite player. So that when you see a, a guy like that who is 20 years old um, start to perform like an elite player in the National Hockey League, you can say, okay, this this is there's a pretty good chance this is real. Yeah, I would say even even beyond the production, like I just think he's looked – there's always been a swagger to the way that Jack Hughes plays, especially sure. when he was at the NTDP. I, I think you're just seeing that swagger and that confidence – come through a little more at the NHL level. And to me, that's kind of the indicator that, okay, he's comfortable now. And, and so certainly when the production matches, as, as we record this, he's at a point per game. Um, that's that's where I'm inclined to say, you know, this is the guy that, that was built up as the number one overall pick. And, and and I think he looks, you know, deserving of that and like that guy right now. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll see how the rest of his season goes. Um, but I think it's definitely fair to say he looks like one of the, the top young players in the National Hockey League right now. Lot of lot of kind of the new blood is, is is near the top of this list. Lucas Raymond comes in at number three. He's moving up from twenty five. Obviously, we've talked plenty about him. Um, he he and his teammate Moritz Sider, who's at, at uh, number six, moving up from from the teens. And then Trevor Zegers. Those are probably your your top three for the for the Calder as things stand today. I, I did a little bit of a straw poll among some PHWA members, along with my colleague Eric Stevens, for a story last week. And um, those three were in some order the top three on nine out of the the ten. That we surveyed. So that there's those are your front runners. Zegers comes in at number four on this list, um, up from number twelve. We talked a lot about these guys. Anything more to say about them as, as this list comes out? Uh, probably not anything that new. Like, I think those are three guys that the NHL community are becoming extremely familiar with, um, as all three of them are playing important roles for their team. Um, obviously Anaheim's in a playoff hunt and an unexpected playoff hunt right now and Zegers has been a huge part of that Detroit's probably been better than people thought they would be probably you know even though I think they're only like ninth or 10th in points percentage um, in the east they're, it's um, going to be a tough climb for them to make the playoffs but I think everybody has seen how big roles Raymond and Sider have been for them and you know I think Raymond's Probably look. I might be mistaken. Probably has cooled off a little bit after that yep. that scorching start. But he's also 19 years old, and it's. I think you look at 19 year olds who not just perform but look the way he does at the same spot um, in their careers. And the track record is a guy who I think is going to be a star in the league for a very long time. I think there's going to a lot of offense coming from him over the next 10, 15 years. Yeah, I would say the thing that's cool for him is maybe a little bit of the goal scoring. Like I think the playmaking is is still very clearly there, and, and he's making them in in creative and unique ways. But I, I think teams, if if they were ever uh, willing to to give him a little bit of space, have uh, have ceased uh, since to to be willing to give that up. The one thing I wanted to ask you with these three guys, so obviously when they're when they're numbers three, four, and six on a list, you have them all pretty close. But cider the, the <laughs> tier behind. Um, anything that that separated the, the two forwards from cider in, in creating those tiers. Uh, yeah, and it wasn't just Sider. I think you know. I think Sider, the, the first defense, there wasn't any defenseman in that top group. You know, right. I think you had. I think there was like a blob of them: Sider, Owen Power, Quinn Hughes, Miro Haskin, and we're all kind of in that blob. Aline. I think it's just. Yeah, I think it's it's generally very hard. I think for a defenseman to rise to that very very top group. Um, it's it's why you know you whenever we talk about the most valuable players in the league, we usually start with the first three four names are usually forwards. Um, we were actually having a discussion between this, 
between uh, Dom and Sean Gentile and myself when we did the skater tiers in the in the fall. Uh, we're going to do an update article on that, I think, sometime soon. We we're talking about, you know, is Kale McCarr now in the discussion with, you know, Nathan McKinnon and Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid. Like, you don't usually have, you know, and it's a maybe. You can think I can see the argument either way, but, you know, it's hard for defensemen to reach that very, very top tier just because the forwards usually just provide offense in such huge numbers that it's, as long as they play decent defense, the value is, they provide is so enormous. And that's what I think those four players, Feshnikov, Hughes, Raymond, and Zegers, are going to do over the course of their careers. I see them being, at certain times, among the top point scorers in the league. Uh, and those are those those are hard pieces to provide more value than. But I think, you know, obviously Sider is the great all-around defenseman. He's providing much more offense than I thought he would right away. Uh, so I see a path where he could maybe... Eclipse those four in value. I mean, they're close. Like you said, it's between four and six. I don't think it's unreasonable. Um, but that would be my argument right now. It, it is an interesting one because I, I agree with what you're saying. I'm I'm a Hart Trophy voter most years, and and it's almost always forwards at the top of my ballot. But then I also think the scarcity of a, of defensemen who impact the game in as many ways. I think it might even be just as great as as among those top point producers. So it's a, it's a good conversation. Uh, certainly, the way I vote, I guess. Should should say that I uh, I agree with you on on that reasoning, but I I think it's an interesting debate to be had because I I do think teams covet the value of a defenseman in, on the trade market it tends to be really really steep. If McCarr keeps playing like he is this year, yeah. I think he's going to get hard votes. Oh yes, most definitely, most definitely. All right, uh, moving down the list a little bit, not not too far is is a guy who's had a little bit of a tough go uh, in terms of his health this season, but has looked really impressive when he's been in the lineup. And that's Bowen Byram. What went into kind of you know your assessment of Byram, especially given all that he's kind of dealt with this, this year and, and in the lead up? Yeah, and and Oswell, I did not have did not release. I mean, I released the list, but I when I was doing the rankings and the analysis and the write ups, I did not have the information of the latest concussion issues he's been dealing with. So that was not incorporated in. I hope he'll uh, be able to recover uh, soon and, and and will be fine. Um, but when I've watched Byram this season, um, I think he's looked exceptional. Like I see um, a defenseman with high-end skating ability who can make offensive plays. Who, even though he's a rather young defenseman, uh, twenty years old, I think he was still looked fine enough defensively um, to go with the things he can do in transition and, and in the offensive zone. Um, you know, and obviously that team has some really good uh, young defensemen in Makar and and Samuel Gerard. Uh, but I think he's even found some ways among those guys to to stand out sometimes. Um, so I, you know, he's obviously always been a top prospect, top five pick in, in his draft. But and it, when he has been healthy, I think his his impact has been obvious. Yeah, and obviously we uh, would would very very much hope that uh, Byron's able to to get healthy and, and stay healthy because he is such a talented player and also just from a quality of life standpoint, that's it's uh concussions are a scary one. That's a tough one to see a young player go through this early in his career. Um, one of the guys who, who jumped out from the list is Jason Robertson. And, and I, I thought it was an interesting uh, thing you put in the write up. He's, he's elevated himself to a status where it's guy who has uh you know, kind of a notable flaw in their game, but, but because they've succeeded, uh, they now are, are kind of someone who gets brought up in, in conversations with scouts about other players with that flaw is why it can still work. That for him, obviously, being his skating. Um, how, how recent a development would you say that is? Yeah, I, I mean, with, I mean there's a reason why Robertson was a second-round pick. It's because he's a, 
you know, a, his, his skating has always been a very notable issue um, with his brother. Nick Robertson, who was second round pick by Toronto, was also the same thing. Um, and Jason's kind of always been questioned when he was in junior, when he was in the American League, World Juniors, etc. Like, you know, I get that he's big and he's skilled, he's smart, he can score, but man, the, the feet are, are an issue. And and I don't know if it's going to work. And I, I I can understand why some people would, would listen to that and be like, well, he scored all the time. Well, why wouldn't he score in the National Hockey League? And it's, the question would be, the answer to that question would be like, well, there's a lot of guys who, who look like that, who never make it out of the American League. Uh, and and not only has he made it out of the American League, he has become a star player in the National Hockey League. He is a massive piece of the Dallas Stars right now. Uh, and and like kind of what I mentioned in the profile, what you alluded to, I think he's a guy now that, that comes up a lot in, in conversations. Uh, there's a guy in this year's draft, a top prospect who's a rather flawed skater, also an American winger and Rutger McGrory. Um and and Robertson's name comes up a lot when discussing McGrory. It's like, yeah, I get he doesn't skate that well, but but you know, if Robertson can do it, why can't he? Um, there's there's dangers to to that analogy. Um, it's like when Cole Caulfield was coming up, and the only comparison to him was Alex Dabrinkit. Uh, that would be the argument in favor of him, and the argument against him is like, okay, name name a second player, right. and. <laughs> and and that goes into the risk assessment. Um, but I think Jason Robertson, fantastic player to watch, very unique prospect, and a guy I think we'll be having a lot more discussions about in, in the coming years. If I ask you to give me a reason why it's worked for Robertson, where it may not have worked for guys of, of that profile in the past, is it is it the hockey sense that kind of explains the bulk of it? I would say the puck game is just really, really good. Just such a good brain, shot, skill. He's big. Uh, he competes well. To overcome, you know, or to basically for any player to overcome a really significant flaw, whether a significant flaw in your skating, uh, being really small, lacking offensive ability, you need those other attributes to basically pop almost in unison. And I think with Robertson, that's true. Um, you know, and it's why, you know, for very small players, typically they need to be exceptional skaters, skill, compete, so on and so forth. That just... The, the way the balancing has to work, especially it's not to only play in the league, but to excel in the league. Like that's, that's usually what you need. Another guy who who's moved up is Mason McTavish and he's out of this most recent draft. He spent a little bit of time in the NHL, but has since gone back to juniors and, and actually just got traded um, within the OHL. What did McTavish do to kind of, I guess, cement himself in, in, in this tier as a, as a top of the lineup players where you have him? Yeah, I think he's just looked really good whenever I watched him this year uh, through you know his NHL time. Um, in his little junior he's played, he's just recently been traded to Hamilton. Um, and in the little time he's been with the U20 team, I think for me it's not just a play. I think we always know he's a really good player. Uh, but for me, I've seen kind of – for me when I've watched him, I thought his skating has looked sharper than what I thought when I watched him when he was 16 and 17. And that was obviously a tough part of the last draft season too is even though he played in like a – second tier pro league in Switzerland. It was hard to really get a feel on a guy like that. And kudos to Anaheim for identifying him the third overall. Um, but, and I, I, I had some still mild concerns on the skating that I saw when I, when I, when I watched him when he was 16. Um, but right now I think the skating looks, looks good. Like it doesn't look like exceptional. It's not the best part about his game. I would say, you know, the skill and the computer are the better parts about his game, but uh, he looks like a guy who has all the attributes you want in an NHL center. 
now moved up uh, into the same tier and, and actually I think a couple spots ahead of uh, Matthew Beniers, who, who was obviously picked right before him in the draft. So just kind of cements his status um, in, in that tier of center. The other guy I specifically wanted to talk to among the risers um, was Seth Jarvis. And this is a guy who produced like crazy in the Western Hockey League in his draft year, but but he goes kind of at the edge of the top 10, just outside the top 10 to Carolina. And he's come in and made a really big impact. And, you know, Portland is an interesting case because you can often see guys that have really big numbers there. And, and I do wonder sometimes if that causes a little skepticism of guys like that and, and what they'll, how they'll translate. Um, but for Jarvis, it certainly has. I've actually heard that from a couple of scouts that they think that, the, that they get scared by Portland guys because they, you know, they think they, they, the way they play doesn't translate to the NHL or something along those lines. But the way Jarvis plays clearly translates to the national yeah. hockey. He's an exceptional skater. He's extremely competitive. Uh, he plays with that fear, um, despite lacking size to go with his great skill and scoring ability. And, you know, there was a point at the start of the season where he looked like he wasn't even going to play that much. Like, he was a healthy scratch for most, I think, the first couple of weeks there for Carolina. Like, the question was going to be, are they going to send him back? What are they going to do with him? And now it's like you can't take him out of the lineup because he's helping them win every night. Um, you know, and he's a 19-year-old. He could have been on the World Junior team this season. Uh, I think, you know, looks like an extremely strong prospect for, for Carolina. And also not a prospect. He's an NHL player now, but a guy who – you know, we'll see how the rest of his career goes, but I think a guy who you're really happy and optimistic about his future going forward. Martin Natchez was a guy who was pretty high up on this list too for for another guy. I mean, he, he was high already coming into the year, but um, Carolina doing a really nice job of supplementing a, a veteran core with with good, fairly recent young picks, and that's what it takes to sustain a winner in this era. Right, and those two, you know, those two and, and Sveshnik, they haven't yeah. had like you know they didn't have a first round pick last year. They haven't always picked high in the draft in the last five years. But the times they have with Netches and, and Jarvis, they they've they made them count. Um and, and those are essential parts to building a winner. Couple couple guys who dropped and I don't know if we want to do them here or do you want to save them for the mailbag? Because they both got brought up in, in the mailbag. I don't know. We should probably give the listeners some shine or do you want to just do them right now? Well, we can wait for the mailbag. I'm fine right. with that. All right. So we'll do that. We're gonna take a quick break then and we'll come back and we're gonna talk about uh, Team USA in, in the Olympics. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, let's uh, let's now get into to Team USA for the Olympics. Like we said at the top, these haven't been uh, officially announced yet. This is kind of what we think. But Corey, you've you've reported a few guys and a few of the big names that we expect to be on there include uh, Matthew Beniers and Brendan Brisson from Michigan, Jake Sanderson uh, from from North Dakota, Brock Faber, the Kings prospect, um, Beniers obviously Seattle, Brisson Vegas, and, and Sanderson, a Senator prospect. Um, 
those are some huge names, some big NCAA, big time NCAA talent that that uh, sounds like could be leaving their teams to go to to Team USA. What, what do you think kind of the, the appeal of that to, to leave the season is and, and, and go play in the Olympics? Well, it's the Olympics. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's a, I, I know it's a unique Olympics. It's going to be in Beijing. It's, you know, there's the issue. Those, there's the quarantine rule. Have people, have people scared? They probably won't be able to have like the whole uh, typical Olympic experience that you would have had in 2018. Um, but it's it's still the the pinnacle of sports in in, in our society right now. So I I don't uh, think it was, there was ever a question that you, you go represent your country at the Olympics. Um, and for a lot of these guys, they were going to be on the World Junior Team. Uh, this year, you mentioned Veneers, Sanderson, Brock Faber. We think Matthew Nyes will be there. Uh, you know, those are guys who have been to play big roles for the U20 team. And while they did get to represent their country throughout the duration of a World Junior tournament, they now get to go represent their country at the, even a larger stage at, with the Men's Olympics. What are you looking for when you see guys at this level? Because, it, you know, obviously last year's World Championships, I guess maybe could be kind of instructive for this where. You, know, you, you you think of the Olympics and the World Championships as these NHL laden events, at least in recent years. Um, and and so when you see a prospect go there and do like what you know Owen Power did last year, you think, okay, great. But but you also do realize when the NHLs aren't at those events, there's some kind of mental adjustment, I guess, that gets made. Yeah, I think you're going to have to approach this with a grain of salt. Um, you know, you look at last the 2018 Olympics, which also did not feature NHL players. Um, you know, where, you know, where Troy Terry was off, was also a great player, was, was very good. And Ryan Donato was very good. And he's just put an okay player. You know, Eli Tolvanen was, has become a pretty good NHL player, but like he was exceptional there. Nikita Gusev was really, really good there. Didn't turn out to be a great NHLer, but Kaprizov was really good there too. So there's going to be a little bit of give and take, I think, from that. I think it's, it's definitely, you, you know, it's new information. Um, I, th- I think the issue from an evaluation perspective, it's going to be, it's tough to process because there aren't a whole lot of recent comparables. You can say, oh, he played like this. He looked like this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy that I've seen before. Um, but it's still, I presume there will be, you know, very talented professional players. They'll be playing games from Sweden, Finland, Russia, Czech, uh, so on and so forth, both with Team USA, and we expect a decent number of prospects on the Canadian side too. Um, so that, and on possibly Russia as well. Um, so I still think it will make a, for a fun, a good evaluation environment and a fun event for people who like prospects to watch. But it will be, I will approach it with with caution in terms of moving guys up or down that drastically. In some ways, I almost think that's a good thing because, as much as you know, obviously we all we all like to. Uh, to use these things for for work and for scouting, it, it is going to make it a little bit more of an enjoyable event, kind of to, to see a bunch of college kids go and and rep, you know this is the this is the kind of stuff that was romanticized when I was growing up, and it was you know back in the days with the you know the, the nineteen eighty team obviously, but, sure. but the pre NHL Olympics there was a romanticism about a bunch of college kids going to the Olympics and and playing for Team USA, and there is something inside of me, my my inner child, I guess, that is kind of geeked about that. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun event for those reasons when like the average age of team USA is 22 or something right. like that. <laughs> um, and, and, and yes, it is different and it, it does hard, you know, bring you back to those, to those years where, you know, the European teams had fully professional squads and team USA's 
team, uh, you know, wasn't always of drinking, a legal drinking age in, the, in, in their country, you know, and, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be, it's going to be really fun to watch. And, you know, it'll be, you know, it, it might be the kind of the same dynamic, maybe not the same dynamic in terms of the level of talent, but like the same kind of thing that people said about Team North America at the World Cup, where you just have, you know, if you see like a 19 year old like Jake Sanderson just playing exceptionally well versus a bunch of like, you know, grown professionals, same thing with Matthew Beneers, I think like that's going to be awesome to watch. That is something from, from uh, I guess this undoes a little bit of the last point here, but when you talk about players of this age, when they go and they succeed in like the KHL, for example, um, or, or Liga or Sweden at a high level, that really means a lot. That carries a lot of weight. And so sure. I, I do think if you go and you saw a, a Matthew Beneers, uh, Jake Sanderson, especially someone like a Brendan Brisson, who maybe didn't have the, like the very top, top echelon prospect status, do a lot of damage. That is that is maybe a little more meaningful than I guess I, I maybe had given credit for before. That just clicked on for me right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's it. It's all like I said. I just I think there could be evaluation value there. Just you want to push with a grain of salt, but I think you know if someone's like truly exceptional, like I think you like like like, like a guy like Tolvanen was. In yeah. his, I think you have to incorporate that. You know, and you know, we spent some of the top guys to go, but like you know it's. You know, you could look at a guy on this team like, say, Nathan Smith, who's a third-round pick by Winnipeg and one of the top scorers in college. You know, obviously we we have big expectations of the first-round pick. But if a guy like that, or Matt, you know, maybe you know Matt Nyes or some of the other college players that I think will be named, such as like a Dick Abrazzi, uh goes in, they're like one of the top players on USA. That is very relevant information, and it goes into their projection for sure. Will be. I mean, so a guy like a guy like Nathan Smith. I mean, what are, he in, in college? He obviously is producing like crazy at, at Minnesota State, and that's a team that is always kind of a threat come tournament time. Um, for a guy like him, like I, I think fair to say that he would be an individual award candidate. Uh, how does that kind of affect the, going going away? Does that affect his uh, chances at, at something like that? Uh, I don't know. I, do, I mean, I think this is a unique circumstance for the for the Hobie committee. Um, to to have to bring into it, I think if you know they'll they'll only be gone, I think for four six games maximum. So it will so like be a minor tough. injury. Yeah, it will be t- well. Hopefully, it's only that. <laughs> but, yeah, yes. And, <laughs> uh, but I don't think it'll pick the pack that much. Um, that being said, if they get hurt or stuck in China, that's a whole other issue. But I, I don't, I think they will be reasonable for guys who have to go to the, who, who went to the Olympics. One more of the individual guys I want to talk about. Do, do we think Matthew Nyes is going to make this roster? The Toronto prospect second round pick? Yeah. Yeah. He, he's on, I think he'll be on the team. Um, I don't know if he'll play a big role um, as a as a nineteen year old who probably is another the town level of a guy like you know Veneers Sanderson etc. You know, not an unreasonable statement to make, but I think there's one thing he'll probably provide that the other college guys don't have is a little bit more size and and, and physicality with some with enough skill to you know do some stuff with the puck. But I would imagine on this team he's probably um, I don't know if he'll play a like a big big role. Maybe a second, third line wing, second line, a tops, third line winger. I would, I would imagine, but, um, but, but I think he can provide definitely a different element to this team. He's a guy, obviously, whose stock is on the rise. When you see that he's here, and guys who are first round picks like like Matt Coronado or Matt Samuskevich, uh, I don't want to say that because I don't know for sure that they're on the team. But he was among the first players ever named. At least at the very minimum, he's being mentioned now in a group of guys. Who, who went ahead of him. 
it's an interesting story. I mean, a guy with 57th pick in the draft, I believe he was. He was a late birthday, and he comes in, and he's instantly point per game. He was he was a late birthday, but and one of the things that's interesting about him is when he was coming into the year, I was hearing from a bunch of scouts who love Matt Nyes, like who said, this guy is going top 20 without a shadow of a doubt kind of thing. And then he had a really slow start his draft season, um, started to kind of fall down lists. Um, people were worried that he couldn't – about the scoring ability, the finishing touch – and had a really, I think the last couple of weeks of the year, he kind of came on hot, still goes in the second round. Um, but yeah, definitely been an interesting player to follow the last couple of years. And now we'll see where the Olympic story takes him. Any, anybody else you, you really are interested in on, on Team USA or about these Olympics? Any, any kind of storylines that, that are gripping you? I think another, I think a 19 year old defenseman, I think Kings will be excited to see will be, Kings fans will be Brock Faber. I think, you know, yeah, another teenager guy who's going to be a big part of that world junior team. Um, getting an invite as a, as a rather young player, I think he'll be an important part of this team. Um, USA will have a you know a good sized mobile defense core uh, with him, with Jake Sanderson, with Drew Hellison, who I've been a big fan of the last two years. Um, I think these this will be a very uh, fun defense unit to watch for for USA fans. All right, let's go now to the mailbag, and uh, there's a few that tie really nicely into to the U23 list and the topics from today. So I want to start there, and, and they're both kind of guys who I guess would be more fallers. And, and the first one's Cole Caulfield. This is from Grimlock. Um, he wants to just wants to just know, having not watched Caulfield a ton this season, how he's looked to you. Is his size been a limited factor? Is it something else? What explains his drop in the U23 rankings? Yeah, I mean, the size has always kind of been relevant with Cole. Um, I would also say his skating has always been, I think, good, but never elite for a small guy. Like, I remember, like, I've seen instances where he gets caught, like, rather easily by, and gets closed on. The catch can't, doesn't he beat guys wide? Like, those are all variables. Um, and when I, you know, I think when it comes to evaluating guys who look like that, who are 5'7, five, 5'8, five, um, not elite skaters, um, I think there's always, you know, who don't basically have overwhelming toolkits, who the appeal to them is the skill and the fact they always score. When they're not scoring, he has one goal in the National Hockey League this season. Um, it brings up a ton of red flags um, that, you know, the thing, you know, because you're not projecting the toolkit like, oh, yeah, when he fills out, like he's going to be this, 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 you know, this monster kind of thing. It's, you know, no, I, I like you because you score, and I, you think you want to you want to balance these things because he's only twenty. He has a long history of scoring before, and you know we talked about this like say with like you know a guy like Jack Hughes earlier in the conversation. But the difference between him and Hughes is Hughes is a di- is like two three inches bigger and also a dynamic dynamic skater where you can at least there's a little bit more projection there to bank on. Um, so that's kind of where I was. I realized it probably poked some Montreal fans the wrong way. Um, and I understand the arguments against maybe dropping him to, to that extent. I still think he's a very good player. Um, but I would say, you know, talking to people around the league, you know, obviously there were a lot of scouts who love this guy. And there were a lot of scouts who had hesitations. And I've heard a lot from the first camp over the, over, uh, the stretch of the previous season. And I've heard a lot more from the, the second camp over the stretch of the last six months. The thing that I would say to the Montreal fan out there who wants some reason to believe here is that, you know, Cole Caulfield, number one, as a kid, does strike me as the kind of kid who's going to be willing to make whatever adjustments have to get made into sure. his game. And, and and so that's something you can really, I think, when you have a, a prospect like this who doesn't quite get off to the zip that you might want, 
that's something that I think you can feel good about falling back on is I think he's going to put the work in to do what it takes to, to maximize himself, whatever that means. Sure. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I still think I still prefer him as a second line winger. So Absolutely. Not like, Absolutely. Not like, yeah. Not, like not hate, a knock. <laughs> not like I hate Cole Caulfield, but yeah. Like if you came into the year saying like, this guy's a star, he's going to be like a top of the line of 30, 35 goal every year type of guy. Uh, this new information is a rather large uh, swing in the opposite direction. The other one was uh, Peter Kletcha, who wanted you to talk about Sebastian Kosa dropping, how much it was the world junior performance or lack thereof, or what more is there to it. Obviously, his numbers in, in Edmonton are down this year, too, from last year. Yeah, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. It's the numbers and how I just from watching, I've watched a lot of their games. Just because uh, you know, all because of Kosa and Genther and, and Jake Neighbors, I, I watch a lot of those games. Um, I think he's looked good, but I wouldn't say he's looked exceptional like I thought he did in his draft year. Uh, weird draft year, mind you, but still in in his draft year, um, I still see six six guy who moves pretty well, like very well actually uh, for a goalie at size. I wouldn't say. Uh, the puck tracking and the reads to me have looked at the same level I thought. They were the previous season and kind of go with international performance. His summer camp was disappointing. You're like, oh, okay, that's a blip. Like, you know, it's, you know, it's, you know, you don't want to write off. Then he kind of goes, you know, to uh, the, the summer camp and he's just okay. And then he goes, plays in his one little pre-tournament game and he's really bad. And now you're like, oh, damn, like that's, you know, you're trying to see a little bit of a, of a pattern here, but the athlete is so promising. Like six six guys, a six six guy, sorry, who who can move in the net like he can. Like that's a really appealing athlete. He has a good statistical performance overall on the dub. I still really like this player, uh, but I think it's fair to say, you know, if I had him in the range I had him because of the year he had last year. It's just gone a little bit the other way, and, and and I adjust. But I'm open to the argument that I could be wrong, and by this time next year, he's you know a first year pro, and he's killing it in Grand Rapids. Is there anything to the? So we always talk about the size and the desirability of big goalies. Is there any downside to it? Like for a goalie, like if you're six six, does it mean you got a bigger five hole, or, or you got more kind of to, to cover up under the arms or anything like that? I think in general with athletes, there's a kind of there's kind of I think an ideal size you want. I think you know, like I talked about this. There was a guy who we were watching uh, Curtis Douglas. I was watching this, talk about this guy with a couple of scouts the other day, um, uh, who was like who was drafted by Dallas in the third fourth round. He's like a six seven, six eight, four something like that, and that's literally I think too big to play hockey. Yeah, like you know, it's it's. I mean, you can do it. I'm sure people have done it in the past, but like it just limits your skating so much by being that big. Um, he's so slow on the ice. It's why he didn't get signed. It's why he's probably not going to play in the National Hockey League, although I know he's playing in the American League. I think he's done okay. Um, so that's a, that's a variable. I think 6'6 six, six for a goalie is perfectly fine. It's not within the you know unreasonable dim, uh, height dimensions as long as you have good athleticism, which he, has, he does. He has good athleticism. Um, but I think you can be, I think just like you probably could be too small to play. I think you could be, there is an argument that you could be too big to play, but I don't think it applies to Kosa. I guess before we wrap on, on the goalies, let, let's talk about uh, Jesper Wallstedt, who I think moved into, I believe he was the top rated goalie on your list. And, he was. And, yes. and he's yeah surpassing um, Spencer Knight, though in the same tier. And, and Dustin Wolf also um, right in that mix between those two guys. Um, let's talk about Wallstedt and, and, and Wolf really, really quick and, and what they've done to, to cement themselves up there. I mean... You know, 
Dustin Wolf uh, was a guy that I've had some reasonable skepticism about as a as a pro prospect, just because of the same reason for for his size, despite his excellent excellent numbers throughout his four seasons in junior. Um, and I mean he's been unreal this season. I think he's lost one game in the in the AHL all season or something like that. Um, like some stupid save percentage, like nine thirty, nine forty, or something like that. Yeah, nine thirty one. Um. And it's not just the numbers, it's the way he looks too. Like, I think I underrated his athleticism. I think he looks much quicker, much more dynamic than I thought he was when I've watched their games. Um, and in terms of Wallstedt, um, just, he's done everything you've asked of him to do this year. He's been, he's been really good versus men. Uh, brief World Junior appearance. Obviously, that game versus Slovakia, well, he was incredible. Um, and just, but especially his games in Sweden. Um, versus men, I think just a very impressive season. Uh, the games I've watched, he just looks in control. The hockey sense looks really elite. Um, yeah, just very impressive season so far. All right, let's move into some uh, 2022 draft questions. Nam Danan, two-parter here. First one is, can you compare and contrast Matthew Savoy, Logan Cooley? Uh, kind of how close they are, some key differences in their games. Um, that's a good. That's a good question. Uh, you know, those are those are two of the top uh, rated forwards in this year's draft. Similar size guys. I think Savoy's like five nine. Uh, Cooley might be five ten, five ten and a half, something like that. Um, skating abilities probably close between them. Um, I would say. I would call Cooley just a little bit more dynamic uh, with with the puck uh, in terms of just the way you know he can make. I think they both have great skill. I think he makes more skill plays at faster paces, which makes him a little bit more dynamic. Um, but I think they both compete well. Um, they both can score. They both can make plays. So I don't think it's unreasonable to ask for a comparison. I just think there's a little bit more of a pace and dynamic element to Cooley's game than Savoy, who I think is this season has been heavily power play driven. Um, but I, but I see where the where the question is coming from. And then part two comes about um, from from Nam Danan comes about Cooley's NTDP teammate Cutter Gautier, who kind of filled in uh, with the program while Cooley was out uh, away with the uh, the uh, World Junior team in, in the bubble. Um, tore it up, Namdadan says. Uh, did, did scouts take notice of that and, and, and what happens when he gets that usage? Where's his stock at? He, he asks, can he be a top 10 pick? Yeah, obviously, uh, Central Scout just put out a midterm list. He was, I think, 6th or 7th among North Americans. I would say most scouts I talk to consider him a first-round pick right now. I'm not hearing top 10 buzz, to be quite honest, consistently. I, I think he'll need to have a really strong second half, particularly if the team is healthy. Uh, Charlie Strainwell is better to come back. I think possibly this weekend, if not the, the following weekend, um, Cruz Lucius will come back at some point soon too. So when they have a full team, you know, can he stand out among a very deep forward group? Where does he slot in? Um, you know, can he outperform guys like like Strainwell, like Frank Nazar, Isaac Howard, Ruffin McGordy, Jimmy Snuggerud, uh consistently? Um, but I think what he has, um, a lot of the guys don't have are just the pure physical tools: six two, six three, good skater um, to go with some skill and, and a really good shot. Um, He's a very interesting player. I kind of see him more like a 20 to 35 guy right now, not top 10. Um, but uh, he's, he's, a, he's a good prospect. 
Uh, next one's from Tate Fraser. What, if anything, do you know about Andre Kuzmenko? Uh, seems to be a pretty fun guy to watch among the undrafted potential UFAs. Uh, Andre Kuzmenko, for those who don't know, plays for Scott St. Petersburg in the KHL. He's among the leading scorers in the KHL this season. His deal is up at the end of the season, and he's expected to sign a contract in the National Hockey League uh, this summer as a highly pursued European free agent. Uh, I, I still need to dig a little bit deeper into these. I do an annual European free agent, college free agent article. Um, and I expect, you know, we'll, it'll, it'll be interesting. It'll be a great Olympics to, to use that for because we're going to have, I think, a couple of college free agents there. Ben Myers has been confirmed. I've heard there's a couple other undrafted college free agents who have been considered for the, uh, the, the second segment of, of USA's list. And all of the European teams will be, you know, for the European, on the European free agent front. So I'll be excited for that on that front. Um, but Kuzmenko, I think, will be a very important part of Russia's team. Uh, really high skill level, like a really, really skilled playmaker, um, you know, good scoring ability. Uh, my question on him is he's just an okay skater, I think, for his size. Um, so I don't think like you're getting like Panarin or anything like that on, on this guy, but I think he could help an NHL team for sure. And I think he will be a highly sought after player this summer. Uh, Charles W., your initial impressions on uh, Marco Rossi and Matt Boldy's first couple NHL games? I thought Boldy was very good. Um, I think, you know, obviously they sent Rossi down afterwards. Boldy's down the taxi squad. I think that's probably a, an indication of how how they played. I thought Boldy's has shown that he should stick around. I thought his, his skill, his visions stood out um, in those games. Uh, I think Rossi had some flashes where you saw, you know, the competitiveness that he has some puck game, but I think that the pace looked a little fast for him. I think he probably needs a little, probably needs to play the full year down in Iowa. You know, maybe the following season he starts pushing, starts pushing for more consistent games. Um, Boldy though, uh, who's been very good in his, I guess, two, I wouldn't, I want to call it two seasons, but his, his two stretches of professional hockey over the, over the last year. Um, I think he showed, I think he's ready for the National Hockey League. All right. Uh, last one is from Darren L. Uh, Darren M. Not Darren Helm. Although maybe. Uh, <laughs> what is your long-term outlook of the Sharks? Do they have the farm talent to make a run in a few years? My instinct says no, but the Sharks over the last 10, 15, 20 years always find a way to to, to turn water into wine. Um, and there's probably some sixth, seventh round pick that I'm not a big fan of that will become like a top six forward. You know, the, the next, whatever, Kevin LeBanc, uh, Joe Pavelski, something along those lines. There's some, there's some guy they got there that they'll, that they can turn to it. It might be Brandon Coe. Brandon Coe's looked really good this season in the Ontario League. 6'4 guy who can skate. He's got some skill. Um, you know, so I think average roster, average farm pool would probably be my assessment right now. I don't think they're going to fall off and be like a, a, like a disaster. I don't think they have enough to become a true contender either. Um, but they've, I think them and Pittsburgh have always surprised me with what they've been able to churn out of their system. Uh, so, so time will tell. Yeah. Well, one of the, I saw them uh, this week, actually San Jose, and I, I thought Jonathan Dolan looked really good. He made a great play on an assist. Dolan's a great example too. A guy I didn't think was going to do it. And, and yeah, yeah, here he is. Yeah, so certainly, you know, you hope there's there's that for them. The thing that I think is going to be their obstacle, and and I thought Carlson looked good when I was there too, but they're just the age on the money on their roster. I think is their big obstacle, right? Like you can get by if you're a little old and you've got a lot of money given up, but but the guys who are old are gonna are gonna wean off. But it's 
long deals left for Velasic, for Burns. Um, you know, I, I think Couture is still very much a, a top center and all that, but that to me is their bigger obstacle, I think. And, and still, you know, I think Carlson looks really good. Does he look good enough to be an 11.5 million guy with that many years? Like that's where you're hurting, I think. Yeah. And they got obstacles of that, given that there'll probably be almost no increase in the salary cap next season. What happens with Thomas Hurdle? I mean, those are those are very real obstacles for them, and that percent it's going to be easy. Um, I think for now they're fine. I just probably wouldn't call them like on on the path to becoming a contender just yet. Yeah, they're they're in a, a weird spot, and I don't know what that which you know, one of those two dominoes that we just talked about kind of has to give first. They either need to find gems that's like all right, well now you kind of have free free found money on an ELC, uh, or something probably has to happen on the contract front. So we'll we'll see which one. That goes. That's uh, that's all we got for today, Corey. Anything else you want to talk about before we uh, let everyone get on with their lives? Uh, no. Uh, Max and I will be at the All American Prospects game on Monday, and about and our our next episode, we will be talking uh, more draft centric. I'll have a new draft list out, um, so we'll have a lot more on that front for the many questions on the draft that were asked and not answered. Yeah, something to look forward to or dread, depending on your general feelings on this podcast. Uh, we will talk to you soon. Take care.